Hey gang, welcome to Big Brother and the Holding Company. It's a podcast about music and Web3 and trying to fend off Big Brother. I'm a Keegan Voice. Today I spoke with Alec Delalio. He's a musician, collector, and builder at the vanguard of the Web3 creator economy. Aside from making music, Delalio also leads growth at Reveal, an on-chain revenue share protocol. And he leads governance at Campfire, which is a gathering place for music makers and culture builders. We chatted about documenting his musical life on the internet, which started on YouTube at the age of 11, and now continues across various Web3 platforms and protocols. And we dived into the beginnings of his Web3 journey, which started in 2017 as an intern for Berkeley School of Music professor, serial entrepreneur, and Web3 advocate George Howard, where he was transcribing and digesting years of interviews that started to make him a Web3 believer too. Hope you all enjoy the conversation. Here we go. Hey Alec, it's great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. To begin, I always like to start well, at the beginning <laughs> and to learn a little bit about your story and where you grew up and when your relationship with music started. Sure, yeah. I grew up in Massachusetts, uh, about 15 minutes north of Boston in a town called Wakefield. Um, I was actually just chatting with some people about this last night, my kind of musical origin story, because nice. um, I mentioned that I started playing instruments when I was like 10 years old, and uh, the people who I was chatting with were like, well, why? how did you start so early? Why did you start so early? Um, I'm one of those people who was lucky enough to grow up in a very musical household, uh, so my dad was in a band growing up. He and his band, they would practice in our basement. <laughs> so cool. like, uh, yeah, we would often have like a full band down there. We had a drum kit, a couple guitars and, and all that. So I was around music from a very young age. And uh, the first time I started playing music myself was in the fourth grade uh, when I started playing trumpet in my school band. Really, I had just moved uh, to a new town and it was in a new school and uh, I didn't know anybody and I didn't want to play sports. So uh, it seemed like a natural thing to do. I was like, Went for the band trumpet. sounds sounds cool. <laughs> uh, I wasn't crazy about it for the first year or so, but I ended up picking up a guitar about a year a year or so later. And um, yeah, the rest is kind of kind of history. I've been playing guitar ever since uh, now. Uh, you know, doing more kind of singer-songwriter stuff, producing my own music, releasing my own music, both uh, in Web3 and on DSPs and all that, uh, as well as building community and building tooling to support other musicians and other kind of multimedia creators to do the same thing. Cool. Amazing. Thank you. Um, I mean, first and foremost, what kind of band was your dad in? What was their name? <laughs> uh, they're, they're called Split Risk. I think I have... I might have some of their stickers right here, actually. Oh, uh, cool. These really OG. Yeah, yeah. Split Risk can join the, the fan club on Reverb Nation. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But, yeah, they were like a, a classic rock band. Uh, they did a lot of covers, but had some original stuff, too. My dad was uh, lead guitar. Cool. Makes sense. Runs in the family. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what was the best cover that they did? Hmm. They just did like a lot of classic, a lot of really classic stuff. Um, like they would do a lot of Beatles kind of stuff. The one that sticks out in my in my head is 
<laughs> it's probably not like the best one. For some reason, this is the one that came to mind. Was Obla di Obla da by the Beatles, which is just a classic song. Yeah. Uh, but they did all that kind of you know Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith stuff of the era. Cool. Uh, nice. Yeah, I mean that's the music I grew up with too. So there's a you know there's a soft spot in my yeah. you know in my heart for dad rock. <laughs> they did a lot of Tom Petty. Oh, cool. Cool. I love mm-hmm. Tom Petty. Um. Great. Okay. So, uh, take us take us through the steps that got you there. So you started playing guitar at, at mm-hmm. uh, you, you know like fifth grade, um, yep. and and you ended up here now working you know with a reveal and exploring these these new on chain music mechanisms, community building techniques, things like that. So where you know take us you know through the journey of how you you know got to be here, like where. Yeah, I'll just leave it open-ended for now. Sure, yeah. I So I started, pretty soon after I started playing guitar, I started making content. And you know, remember, I was like 11 or 12 at the time. I think it was like right. 2008 when I posted my first YouTube video. Um, and pretty much ever since then, on and off, I've been documenting my journey as a musician publicly on YouTube. Mm. Um, so... I think like this whole discussion of the creator economy and a lot of like when we talk about web three tooling for creators, the discussion is kind of like, it's a, it's a creator economy discussion that's been going on for a long time. So I I have a lot of empathy for that experience as someone who's been making content for a long time. Um, I would say that my, when I really started thinking about, like technology music technology and like how to leverage um new technologies as a musician specifically web3 and blockchain technologies was in 2017 so um i basically that summer i was in college i applied to a bunch of internships in the music industry i applied to all the big record labels and spotify etc and none of that panned out so what i ended up doing instead was kind of doing cold emailing basically like all these different people in the music industry just to say like hey i'm a college student uh i'll work for free like do you have anything cool i can help you with uh and luckily uh someone named george howard got back to me i don't know if you're connected with george at all but he was one of the founders of TuneCore. Uh, he's a professor at berkeley and a, an expert in copyright law and he had been gathering uh between like 2015 and 2017 he'd been uh writing about uh like the the promise of blockchain for music right and he'd been talking to people in the music industry about how this new technology could reshape things and Mm -hmm. he basically brought me and he said like listen i've got years worth of interviews i need transcribed like just writing that i've done that isn't organized and i'd love to turn all of that into a a book but i don't have time to do it so he basically uh i came on as like his intern and he gave me all of this material and we turned it into a book and published it. So cool. that was that was my introduction to this space. And um, as you can imagine, 2017, like music NFTs weren't really a thing yet. NFTs as a whole weren't really a thing yet that had any mm-hmm. meaningful traction. So it's been very interesting over the last few years to see these things that we kind of, that the book dealt with in theory starting to take shape in practice and actually change a lot of artists lives um and you know now we have whole kind of economies built around these things there's still obviously a lot of room to grow 
Mm-hmm. But um, I would say that's like the through line for, for me, right? Because music is a lifelong passion as someone who's played music the better part of my life, uh, has created content, and also for the last five or six years been kind of on the bleeding edge of the the music side of uh, of crypto. I think uh, it's funny, like in life, a lot of things, you, you often don't see how connected certain events are in your life until mm. like you have some hindsight and now in hindsight i'm like oh yeah this whole it makes sense how all of these things are related to each other even though uh they it's just been it's just been my life you know (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that must have been fascinating sort of a deep dive into this guy's like you know myriad conversations about the blockchain as as sort of your you know first entry point into this space I, i mean obviously at the time you you were you were had had already spent quite a few years on like youtube um in in more like traditional creator economy platforms and i'm curious if you remember like a, a specific moment going through all of this material where, like, where it just clicked it's like oh yeah this is like kind of like the thing that i'm doing but i could extrapolate it to this and this is why it's meaningful it's hard for me to pinpoint a moment during that process where it clicked or maybe it happened to later. To be honest with you. But I mean, I can pinpoint a recent moment I had where, because I think like like I said before, there's a long way to go. A lot mm-hmm. of the foundations are being built for like the new creative industries, if we want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a moment like that I've had in the past six months or so, specifically the very beginning of this year, was when I became really active on Lens Protocol. Mm-hmm. And um, which for those who are not familiar, uh, Lens Protocol, it's a decentralized social graph, basically um, a protocol where they have all these different apps. Uh, it's it's open for developers to build applications on there. Uh, and the value prop for a creator for something like Lens is, OK, there's all these different apps that are all part of a larger ecosystem, a, an on-chain ecosystem, and you can build engagement, build a following on one of these apps. And then if you go sign into a brand new app, you're actually bringing that that engagement and you're bringing that following with you. Because when you make a post on LensTube, which is like the Lens version of YouTube, it doesn't just live on LensTube. It gets broadcast to the entire Lens um, network. And so that was a, a, a big light bulb moment for me where I had this realization. I've used YouTube for so many years. I've gotten millions of views on YouTube. I've had over, you know, 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, which sounds like a lot to some people, I'm sure, but that was never enough to convert to any meaningful audience on other platforms, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, nor was has it really been enough to convert to any, any meaningful monetization. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a YouTube partner. I get, you know, like a little like 30, 40 bucks <laughs> per month because I run some <laughs> ads on my videos, but nothing... Nothing crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But with Lens, if I had started 10 years ago or 15 years ago on Lens and built up that same kind of following, I would be able to take it with me. Um, And I would be able to leverage other forms of content to build that fan base. So, um, And not only that, but you have the on-chain relationship to the people who are subscribing to you, who are collecting from you. Um, So you can monetize that directly via collectible posts, paid posts, but um, also, you know, you now have that direct kind of on-chain uh, connection, and there's a lot of insight that you can uh, gain from 
you know, there's now tools that allow you to get really nitty gritty and looking at, okay, who are the people who are collecting from me or in the lenses case, following me or subscribe to me? What, uh, how, what, how old on average are their wallets? What NFT collections do they hold on average? Like all of these data points. Um, so that's been a big kind of light bulb because I think about creators who are starting now who are like 12, 13, like I was really young when I started, right? You've got mm -hmm. a new generation of content creators who, if we make the right moves as the, the stewards of these new tools and the builders mm -hmm. of these new tools, um, that like promise of the creator economy is a lot more interesting for this new class of creators potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the promise of data portability that that exists on something like the lens protocol is really fascinating. Um, uh -huh. and, and it, 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 it really, um, it's, it's become more tangible, I think, in, you know, recent, recent happenings with, with like Twitter, for example, and like, uh, Twitter being taken over by, you know, by a megalomaniac who, who, uh, you know, whose direction for the company probably doesn't sit well with a large portion of you know the user base and you know it, it creates a lot of opportunity for for alternatives but also is a reality check that's like if if twitter goes down you know to your point like all of the value that you've ever accrued all of you know your entire social graph goes down with it it's not portable yeah. so so when you can decentralize that across and then like a protocol instead of, you know, centralized platform, that's, that's really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think that people ever would have considered the fact that Twitter could just disappear tomorrow until yeah. this past year to your mm -hmm. point. So it is a uh, definitely an interesting time. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm curious now that you're, uh, you're in this space um, and you have been for some time, but you've also have, have the experience of, uh, you know, YouTube and having spent a lot of time building community there, you know, for people who are say 12 or 22 or whatever, like starting their journey as, as a music maker, as a creator, mm -hmm. what advice would you give them? Where would you suggest that they start to invest their time and energy. I'm guessing Lens Protocol, but if but if you can talk about like some of you know the apps particularly that are being built on that, and if if there are any other yeah. spaces that that you would encourage. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll start with Lens uh, just because we're already talking about it, but there's a lot of other things come to mind as well. Um, I think Lens is great. I mean, it is currently still in closed beta, mm -hmm. but I think that for folks who want to have kind of a leg up educating yourself early like let's say it, that closed beta ends and it opens up to you know everyone in two months um ideally by that point you already have a good idea of what is possible there and uh, already have somewhat of an idea maybe some existing relationships with other creators and builders in that ecosystem so that you can hit the ground running when it opens up uh, so yeah, I would definitely say paying attention to Lens is not a, probably not a bad idea. Uh, Riff is one of my favorite apps on Lens. They're kind of like the go-to music platform over there. Um, Sound XYZ is uh, you know probably the most ubiquitous music platform in Web three at this point, 
And I would mm-hmm. definitely recommend paying attention there. They are in the same kind of uh, position, right? Where they, they've they said, I'm not dropping the alpha, they've said this. They are going to be opening that platform up to any artist who wants to um, mint their music there. So, I mean, that that's a great um, model. I think they've been the, the first music NFT platform that's done like a really, really meaningful amount of volume and effect, you know, improved uh, a lot of individual artists' lives through being able to monetize on there. So check that out. Even if you don't collect, even if you don't mint anything, just go listen to music, uh, see what's out there, see who else is minting their stuff. Um, and then finally, I would say platforms uh, like Reveal are also a good place to to pay attention because we the payout layer is such an important piece of all this, right? The promise mm-hmm. of blockchain is trustless and transparent, uh, like value transfer and sharing value, sharing, um, in our case, we support creators, collectives, DAOs, groups of people who are working together and who are creating value together to share their revenue in a way that doesn't require any trust, right? You can, uh, with Reveal, design a revenue share agreement however you want to. You don't need to know how to code or anything. You can use our app to do it. Um, you can mint that revenue share smart contract uh, and that's owned by you entirely. We never own those revenue share smart contracts. Uh, we're working on a few things. I can't go into extreme detail about where we're headed, but what I will say and the reason that I bring this up now is that um, soon it's going to be very, very easy to use Reveal to access your earnings as like a collaborator on a project. Maybe you're working with someone who is very Web3 native, but you've never used Web3. You don't have a crypto wallet set up. Mm-hmm. You would still be able in that instance to access your earnings on Reveal without needing to set up your own wallet, without needing to fund your own wallet, without even necessarily needing to hold your crypto. You know, maybe you're, you're getting it directly in, in fiat. Um, so these experiences both on the payout side, on the minting and the creation side, on the social side, are all going to continue to develop and to get smoother, hopefully, and and more accessible. But the unique, the the time to kind of develop a unique advantage is now. And the unique advantage is developing a deep understanding of the tools before the experience is so accessible that everybody else gets it intuitively, right? Because right. if you can, the earlier you can kind of understand the tools and their value, um, the better positioned you're going to be to take advantage of the wave. Right. I'm I'm curious coming back, you know, to reveal how you first got got involved. You know, I I spoke with Adrian, actually actually with Adrian and Black Dave at the same time. It was right after nice. you know you know re- it was right after reveal facilitated like that crazy hundred whatever it was 143 wallet split or something that he did which was really cool um and yeah i'm curious like how you met the crew and how you got involved actually the um jordan uh you may know her as taro was the first Mm -hmm. member of the reveal team that i met because i'm a collector of hers Mm -hmm. um i actually so i i was a founder a founding member i should say of beatstyle uh we were one of the first like music nft collector DAOs back in uh, early 2021 and I was doing an interview series uh, for BeatsDAO and she was one of the first creators who I reached out to speak with 
So um, we got connected and we became friends. And so I was following along with, you know, her journey. And that was right around the time that she started working at Reveal. Um, so I was I was a fan of Reveal. And then I met, of course, the, the rest of the Reveal team I met at NFT NYC that year. Um, I, I was a fan of them for a while. I had used Reveal mm-hmm. as a creator um, before I actually joined the team. And I think that that's, at least for me, that's how I always prefer to to work. I always want to work on projects that I have a personally have a use for just because it's easier to explain and it's easier to kind of sell someone else on something that you actually use yourself. Uh, So anyway, it's been about six months since I joined the team. My role specifically is protocol growth and integrations. So um, around the time that I joined, we had just launched our SDK, which uh, what I explained earlier, I kind of explained how you would use the Reveal app, right? The app allows you to design these revenue share agreements and mint them as smart contracts. You can also manage your revenue, withdraw your revenue in the app. But so that's kind of like the creator user facing side of things. But a lot of, you know, a lot of the work that we've done is actually on the more under the hood kind of stuff, the protocol itself. And how do you make that protocol accessible to developers? Right. Because we don't only want this kind of revenue share standard that we're promoting to be available on our app. Like ideally anywhere where you're minting an NFT collection, you would be able to accompany that with a revenue share agreement, right? So mm-hmm. um, I was kind of brought on to help promote the SDK and to um, facilitate integrations of our protocol on other marketplaces and other platforms. And that's still very top of mind for us. So anyone who's listening who is building you know, an NFT platform, a marketplace, DAO tooling, even anything that is uh, designed to help, you know, uh, creators or any group of people manage their uh, manage their revenue, manage their uh, their NFTs, manage payouts. We could probably help facilitate a really smooth uh, way of doing that. So um, that's been my focus uh, with Reveal. We have some really exciting stuff coming the next couple of months. Um, I won't say too much. I will say that I th- I feel like it's going to be an L two summer. Uh, that's <laughs> hint, that's hint. all I'll say on that. <laughs> But yeah, we we are um, we're currently available on on five different chains. We're on Ethereum, Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, and Aurora. So we're already uh, you know very accessible on those chains. It's just going to be a whole lot easier um, as we as we continue to ship. By the time you're listening to this, this stuff might already be live. <laughs> All right, cool. Again, you heard it here first. <laughs> and I'm curious. I th- I think I saw. Via Lens, I I believe I think there you know there's um, like a post on Lenster, maybe it's Twitter, um, where you were doing uh, like the hundred day coding challenge, mm-hmm. I think, and and I think I saw that your ultimate goal was to build an app on Lens. Correct. Uh, I'm curious if if that you know has contours, shape. Is there an <laughs> idea that like is there something that you already know you want to build? Um, great question. So for those who are not familiar with the 100 Days of Code thing, it's kind of an open-ended challenge that a lot of people um, a lot of people who are brand new to coding will use it as a framework to hold themselves accountable. So it's a hashtag. If you search hashtag 100 Days of Code on Twitter, on LinkedIn, even on Instagram, you'll probably find uh, you know a million posts of people uh, doing this. So I just started yesterday 
100 Days of Code. Uh, this is my second time doing it. So the first time I did 100 Days of Code, I knew absolutely nothing. I was starting yeah. from zero, and, whereas this time I'm starting from uh, a pretty decent foundation and looking to get to like that level of being pretty adept and being able to build more interesting stuff. Mm. So um, yes, I do want to build a lens app. That is the goal. I don't have a specific vision for it yet. Uh, this is only day two, by the way. I, I haven't done my coding uh, challenge for today yet. So I've really only gotten through one day so far. One thing I'd love to see on Lens is a secondary marketplace um, for specifically for music. Hmm. Um, so that's something that's kind of on my mind. Uh, but other than that, I'm very open-minded, right? I'm sure that uh, as I go through the 100-day journey, uh, new ideas will probably emerge naturally as I learn different things. So check back with me in 99 days and we'll see, <laughs> we'll see where we're at. Cool. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got 99 days to figure it out. So you you have time. Yep. Um, <laughs> 99 days can fly by, but... Also, a lot of a lot of magic can happen in ninety nine days. So indeed, indeed, you know, time is a flat circle, as they say. <laughs> I've never relative. heard that before. <laughs> it's a great line from uh, from a True Detective, the first season of True Detective. Life is a flat circle. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a Matthew McConaughey quote. <laughs> His character, anyway. Um, you know, so thinking about all of these things holistically, you know, you're working on the. 100 days of code you you've got your gig in, you know at reveal obviously you've you're personally invested in in your own music career i'm i'm curious like where your aspirations lie primarily like how do you envision balancing a future across tech and music yeah i mean i will say like it's always a balancing act for sure something I've had to kind of put to the side recently that used to be a big focus of mine was collecting for a long time. I was, I was very active as a collector and I was, I, I wanted to hear every single song that dropped on sound. I would be on sound every day, listening to new music and trying to collect as many things as I could, like trying to build a collection of like rare music NFTs. And I just, I don't really have the the energy or the resources to sustain that right now because I'm investing more in, things like my music. Um, so I would say that I think I'm pretty good at balancing like two things at a time, <laughs> you know, more than like two big buckets and it gets difficult. Uh, mm. But I definitely, I love getting to be a part of building like things on the tech and product side. Um, mm. Like I said before, oftentimes the things that I'm building are things that I would want to use myself and they're things that my friends are using and that my friends who are oftentimes artists as well have a need for so for me it actually like is a the balance comes a little bit more naturally like maintaining my creative side while also uh building on the on the tech side i will say something that is a goal for me over the next couple of years is to do more uh locally you know like mm play more shows, organize more shows and events and figure out how that local community and that local scene can contribute to the stuff I'm doing in Web3 and online. Um, because over the past couple of years, I've been so heavily invested in Web3. I mean, from a time and energy perspective more than anything right. else, uh, that I think it's been too easy to deprioritize like being present uh, locally. But 
the older with every year i'm like i think that it actually might make more sense to do the opposite like make a splash <laughs> locally and let that start to influence how i approach things uh online and that that's specifically with regard to like my creative practice and like my music career mm -hmm. yeah no i think that that makes a lot of sense i was talking to somebody yesterday you know kind of about the same thing and and even as from a more abstract perspective, thinking locally across the internet as well mm. also makes sense. And, you know, sure. Web3 is sort of championing that, you know, instead of thinking, uh, you know, on like Spotify terms of trying to be as big as possible, scale as much as possible, have as many monthly listeners as possible. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, those, you know, you know, those are vanity metrics that don't, as you know, convert to real value other than like you know 30 to 40 dollars a month you, you, you know you get to you know from youtube and on the other hand if you're if if you're able to remove a lot of the intermediaries and actually connect directly with people and you, you know forge actual bonds that you can cultivate with your time and energy in the same way that that you would by you know playing local shows like it's those two mm -hmm. things to me in my mind sort of go hand in hand they make a lot of sense yeah, I it's just a mindset, I think, to your point, that I'm trying to cultivate a bit more. I think um, when you have a new space when you have with a lot of excitement where everybody who's a part of it has that same kind of like, you know, what's the word? Like rose-colored glasses to a degree right. about it. I feel like Web3 music specifically, there was like a good year-long stretch there where there were so so many people who joined the space and kind of just became all in on it. There was so mm -hmm. much excitement. And um, yeah, I think that while that was a lot of fun, I think that it is definitely healthier for um, for, for everyone to, to determine, you know, what is most personally important to them and in the differentiation of like my my artist brand will come over time, right? Because I'm going to move in a particular way that um, we were kind of all pigeonholed for, for a little while there with um, the, the standards of like how to drop on certain platforms, like how to communicate mm -hmm. about your drops, how to, how, how to do it as a Web3 music artist. Right. Um, there's a lot of room for creativity, in, in my yeah. opinion, at this point. And I, I love the trend that more artists are are leaning toward doing things their own way, owning their own contracts, uh, experimenting, not just doing things the way that they've been done. And I'm excited to see how that develops. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I, f I feel like um, the the openness is both a pro and a con because it, it, it sort of requires that you really spend time in this space to understand what the tools at your disposal are. But like mm -hmm. working with something like an NFT, which is, you know, an infinitely programmable, you can cr create, create entire worlds, you know, you can fully customize the experience that, you know, that surrounds your art. And that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but without any sort of limitations, because we're so used to in, you know, to thinking within the contours of a platform like Spotify, like this is how it works. And then people spend, you know, so much time and energy trying to figure out how to game and optimize specific platforms 
But when mm-hmm. you can actually like remove yourself from that mindset and think openly, it's amazing, but also, also you know, it can, it can be a little intimidating too. Yeah, and I mean, that always happens, right? Like sound and riff, the two platforms I mentioned earlier, I think that we've seen that happen to a degree where like, you know, uh, a critical mass of artists comes in, a bunch of people try a bunch of different things, and then like the meta emerges, like the most effective way to... right the most effective way from the standpoint of like getting a lot of collectors and selling a lot of NFTs emerges. And then that ends up becoming people end up pigeonholing themselves a bit, whether they mean intend to or not Mm -hmm. just because, you know, that's what, that's what the meta is. But Mm -hmm. I love that sound in particular has, I know they've made a big effort to give creators as much flexibility as they can in, in terms of like, how you price your drops, what's the supply of your drops, what are the mechanics, uh, like the minting mechanics. So th- these are the kind of things, right, that as as the tooling and as the experience of being an artist in the space becomes more interesting, and as we're introduced with more options, then it will just naturally, I hope, lead to, to people being, to, to creativity and like unique, very personalized, uh, drops being more so the standard. And I think the same thing is true of of the payout side, uh, like Reveal. For example, I do, I've been doing a series of covers, right, where I'll do acoustic covers of my favorite Web3 songs. Mm-hmm. Web3 songs meaning songs that were released in Web3 by artists who are active in Web3, um, like Sammy Ariaga, John Waltz, um, these kind of folks. TK, I did, a, my first one was a cover uh of i think i saw tk who's a good friend of mine uh and uh co-founder of campfire so the way that i set that up they were paid collect i priced them pretty low and i set it up so that the first 250 or so dollars worth of eth that came into that uh that smart contract payout contract went directly to the artist who i'm covering so Mm -hmm. the standard in web 2 is like you have these big YouTube personalities who built their following by covering other artists' music, right? They're basically like, in many cases, building an audience that they do monetize um, by borrowing songs from other artists and covering them. And that's a beautiful thing. Like, I love cover culture. I love hearing people put their own spin on someone else's song. I love doing it. That's how I started on YouTube as well. but effectively, you've got people kind of profiting off of other people's music and the attribution isn't always there. I mean, right. you might get like uh, a copyright notice. If like I- I've had this happen where I'll do a cover of a song and then I get a copyright notice on it from like the label. But um, anyway, I wanted to use the tools we have in Web3 to kind of invert that model a bit where now I'm doing a cover of TK's song and I'm building in a $250 recoupment fee effectively mm. for TK to say like, hey... I want to use your song. The first two hundred fifty dollars goes directly to you as like a fee, basically, mm-hmm. a create a creator fee, whatever you want to call it. Um, and yeah, that that was my that was my idea for like how could I do covers in a way that is a bit more equitable and that actually drives value back to the original artist. And that's something that wouldn't have been possible in um, in, in in traditional platforms. So I think that. Yes, it's great to have control over like the supply and the mechanics around your drops, but also having total control over your revenue streams, especially as like more revenue 
is generated in the space. Hopefully, like over time, we've got um, you know artists continue to see more and more success, and we've got more revenue coming into the space. The creators should be in total control of how that revenue is shared and processed. Yeah, and how they access it as well. That's kind of our vision. Totally, and I I think that's you know that's a beautiful approach to you know to recover to have a sort of upfront recruitment, uh, in, you know, model. I was actually going to ask you about that um, because I know you do create a lot of covers, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Is is sort of you know sort of the juxtaposition of the the open permissionless ethos of the blockchain um with you know traditional copyright and ip and how they don't quite work together um mm -hmm. and i, I there are probably going to be a lot of issues with that moving forward because it's very difficult to take something down once it's on a public blockchain um right right so yeah i mean is that something that that you worked out with you know, with TK and other artists ahead of time, or is that just something that you said, I'm just going to set it at $250 worth of ETH. And like, that's my policy. I'm curious if you had a conversation prior to doing that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to cover, I, I, I would only do this with permission and the, the covers I've done so far, they've been with explicit permission of the artists. Actually in both cases, uh, the last two that I did were Sammy and TK and they both we're like, you don't need to do that. And, you know, <laughs> like you can, you can cover the song, but you don't need to do the recruitment thing. And I was like, well, I want to do it. Like it's, it feels like the right, it feels like a more sensible way to approach this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, explicit permission. Yes. I, I, I wonder though, when, if we start to have any high profile incidents of like, like, I don't know if you've been following the Grimes AI story, mm -hmm. right? But now she's made this voice model accessible to anyone. And she said, "Any, you're welcome to do any, some revenue generating activity, whether selling an NFT um, or, you know, streaming, you know, making music with this voice model and streaming it as long as 50% of the proceeds go, go back to Grimes, right. which um, we've seen people take advantage of this. Actually, one of the top, uh, sound XYZ drops of all time now uh, is a song that was done with Angel Baby and West Coast using Grimes AI. They sold like over 5,000 editions. Um, but we haven't really seen any high profile examples of like an artist using a, an, a Kanye voice model or, <laughs> and minting that as an NFT and profiting from it. What happens mm -hmm. then if someone sells 5,000 NFTs uh, which is, you know, a, a sizable amount of revenue there, even at a low price point. Uh, if someone's generating thousands of dollars in revenue using right. a voice model that they don't actually have the explicit permission to use, then how is that enforced? What happens? We don't know, right? So I'm kind of strapped in to see how that space uh, develops. And we're we're doing some experimentation at Reveal as well with um, AI voice models, but uh, oh, cool. in a different, in a bit of a different approach that we're taking. Mm. Are, are you able to talk about that at all? Not in detail, but I mean, I can I can share the fact that you know now you can take vocal samples from five different artists, ten different artists, and you can make an entirely new voice, right? Mm. Using all of these different um, draw, drawing on all of these different vocalists, 
And, you know, we, we think maybe that's something that a lot of people are going to want to do, right? You've got a lot of music collectives, artist collectives um, with a lot of different artists. Why wouldn't, you know, if you, if you have a collective of like eight artists, why wouldn't you also want to experiment with like, okay, we all have our own music. We all have our own voice. What's our collective voice sound like? Um, so it's just kind of like a cool, a cool thought experiment. And in that case, right, if you have a voice model that's trained on eight different voices, um, all of those, the, the folks who provided those vocal samples should be compensated when the voice model is used. Right. Yeah. And that's something that can be built in, uh, at the smart contract level right. with, uh, with reveal. And you never know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, like maybe, the be- yeah, the best one I can think of right now is like 88 Rising, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with 88 Rising. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a lot, of, a lot of different artists across a lot of different styles. Like let's say they made a collective voice model and they made a, a song with that, that voice model, which became their number one song of all time as a collective, right? And now suddenly it's like, wow, we've just birthed this new artist um that other artists might want to collaborate with other people might want to use this voice model to make their own songs and now you have a new revenue stream for all of the individual vocalists who contributed to that model um so yeah i i don't want to give too many specifics on like specifically what we're doing but we're thinking a lot about this because um it's it's a really good use for for blockchain actually like being able to attribute um being able to attribute a model like this to a specific verified um, like wallet address, you know that that it's known to be owned by a particular artist, that can remove a lot of the ambiguity. I think of can we use it? Can we license it? Was is it really Grimes? Yeah. Um, or you know, is it just someone with too much time on their hands that's trying to be an opportunist? Yeah. <laughs> which of which there are going to be a lot of people that are. That are capitalizing on this stuff yeah 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 unfortunately there always will be those those people um such as life yeah such as yeah (laughs) such as life um but i mean it feels right to be you know to be proactive about these things uh, to try to create precedents in anticipation of these opportunists and and entering this space and and because of the lack of of like the legal regulation that exists, it's, it's just this huge legal gray area. I feel like the more that that you know legitimate platforms, good actors in the space can be proactive and create create precedents through these experiments, the more likely that you know regulation is going to favor the artists. I think, mm-hmm. um, at least in the case that you're talking about with. Um, or or others like, I mean, like Grime is like going out there first and saying like, yeah, use my voice, but I get fifty percent, you know. Mm-hmm. Or like Holly Herndon, um, and her you know decentralized mm-hmm. autonomous organization Holly Plus, and yeah. like licensing her voice, um, but but retaining you know control and ownership over over how it's used. Mm. You should have Holly on the podcast. I would love to hear if you haven't already. I would love to hear. Uh hear y'all's conversation on this topic <laughs> yeah i'd love to have her on um i've been meaning to to reach out to uh, her and and uh, to matt dryhurst so if you if you if you two are listening consider this an invitation <laughs> love it um cool alec well I, it's been it's been really great i just have one more question for you at this point unrelated to the things that 
we've been talking about. Uh, Shoot. But uh, I ask this to everyone at the end of the show. Um, you're going to a desert island. You get to bring three albums with you. What are they? Oh, man. <laughs> I should have known this was coming. Somehow I'm not prepared. I actually need a moment to... I'm going to... Here, let me sip That's all right. Some water. That's all right. Take, Take a moment. Take a sip of water. You can talk us through, you know, through your mental process if you'd like. Mm -hmm. That's what some other people do. <laughs> I know I'm putting you on the spot. So can I bring like greatest hits albums? Is that a cop out? No, I think if it exists, I think it, I think it works. Okay. Um, one that I'm going to bring is Bob Marley's greatest hits. Cool. Great album. Just because the first time I ever went on a backpacking trip, I was in Southeast Asia. Um, I had like some music downloaded, but I didn't have service a lot of the time. And I was, I was, this was like over a month long backpacking trip. And I was listening to Bob Marley's greatest hits almost the entire time. <laughs> and uh, I didn't get sick of it after like four or five weeks, just cause there's, there's like 35 songs on there. <laughs> Some of them are so classic. Um, and there's, you know, some un more underrated Bob Marley songs too. But anyway, that's, that's gotta be one. Nice. Let's see. Oh God. I'm really an album guy too. Like I love albums. <laughs> so this is especially hard because there's so many that I love. Yeah. I mean, this, but... this is truly an impossible question and no one's going to hold you to these three in case you actually end up in this situation at mm -hmm. some point, hopefully not <laughs> in your life. Yeah. I hope, I hope I don't, but uh, I hope I get to bring three albums if I do. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with songs in the key of life by Stevie wonder as number nice. two. Just, I don't think I even need to say too much about that one besides it's a classic album. It makes me smile. There's a lot of, you know, really interesting musical choices on there that I think if I had a lot of time on my hands on this island, I'd have a lot of, there's there's a lot in there that you can kind of analyze, uh, pick up on different things every time you listen. Yeah, I think you will have a lot of time on this island. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, and then for a third one, I think I need something that's going to be like a little bit more upbeat, like, a little bit more modern, but what? I've got like twenty five years worth of worth of albums to pick from. Um, hmm. Maybe maybe random access memories by Daft cool. Punk. Yeah. That's actually not the first time that, that has been said. I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah, I was, I was either going to go record. that way or uh, like K Tronada. Nice. Nice. But uh, I think Daft Punk edges them out. Cool. It's a great trio of records. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of smiles on that island, you know, despite your situation. <laughs> yeah, the only consideration is like, do I bring at least one like angry, kind of more brooding album just when I'm mm. like not feeling like I want to listen to Bob Marley and chill? Yeah. Like, that's, do that's I bring true. like System of a Down or like Rage Against the Machine for when I'm like feeling pissed? Feeling pissed, yeah. That's yeah. I guess if I could have an audible and like swap out one of them sure. for a, a more, uh, I, it would have to be Rage Against the Machine, uh, nice. Evil Evil Empire, I think. Cool. Yeah, I think that's that's a good one. We just you know, in your in your miserable moments of being stuck, uh, it's it'll help you get the let out. 
Yeah, cool, Alec. Well, this this has been a really you know great conversation. Really appreciate your time and your energy and uh, the work that you're doing in the space. Appreciate you. Yeah, um, happy to happy to share a bit more about what we've been building at Reveal. What I've been doing, um, you know, personally, and I would say I don't know what if this is going to go live immediately, but I'm going to be doing another uh, drop in a few weeks. I'm releasing a new song. It's a collaboration with John Waltz, who's an amazing artist and a good friend of mine. Uh, and like I said, Reveal, we've got a bunch of exciting stuff coming this summer, including um, we're going to be doing a series of bounties with Developer DAO starting next week. So if any developers cool. are listening to this, um, mm -hmm. there are going to be some opportunities to earn some cash prizes uh, with Reveal. But yeah, that's that's all I would say. Appreciate you again having me and hope we can chat again soon. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Where Where is the best place for someone listening to follow along with all of the various things that you do? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Alec Delel, um, and reveal our Twitter's linked in, in my bio, so you'll find it there. But the easiest way would just be to go to r3vl.xyz. <laughs> cool. Um, all right, you heard it here. Um, you know, thanks again, Alec. This has been great. You know, best of luck as you continue to push forward all of all of these projects. And yeah, absolutely. Let's talk again soon. Much appreciated. All right, that's it for this episode of Big Brother and the Hodling Company. I'm your host, McKeegan Voice, and you can keep up with me and all the latest Web3 music trends on Twitter at McKeegan. That's M-A-C-E-A-G-O-N. This show is a production of Decentral Media. And you can visit us at decentral.io. And remember, only you can prevent and fend off. Big Brother. Big Brother.